going to read Philippians chapter 2, verses eight, or 12 to 18. We are now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So it's the reading of God's word. Let's pray that our God would bless it. Father, this is your word, and we desire to hear your voice. Would your spirit open our ears and our hearts to receive it? Would you empower even my words, that the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight, and our hearts would be laid open before you, that we might receive it, and you might transform us for your glory's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God gave Abram, the patriarch Abram, an amazing promise. He said, in you, all the families or all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he said, in a vision to Abram, he said, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. And Abram said, well, what? What could you possibly give me? Since I have no child, and the man who is to be my heir is a member of my household. And the Lord said, no, that man will not be your heir, but your own son will be your heir. And he said, come outside. And he took him outside into the pitch black of the night. And he said, look up. He said, look at the stars of the heaven, the bright stars shining in the midst of the black night. He said, count the stars. If you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Now, the Apostle Paul, we're talking about this heir of Abram's promises. Apostle Paul identifies that heir as none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, in that promises were made to his seed, his his child, the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the very birth of Christ, he was a blessing to the nations. You know the story from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, where Matthew says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. When it rose and have come to worship him. It's his star. It was like a GPS leading these men from outside of Israel, from the nations, to the manger, to know the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself calls himself the bright and morning star. He is the light. And so much of the... Uh, gospel writers speak of his light, particularly uh, the Gospel of John. It says, 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And even he said this in his earthly ministry. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But then Jesus also said something that was surprising. And we just heard it from Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither does a man light a lamp and put it under a basket, but he puts it on a stand that it might light up everything. He says, you are that light. Which makes us kind of scratch our heads and say, well, what, which is it, Jesus? Are you the light or are we the light? And the answer, beloved, is that Jesus Christ is the true light, but in him, his light shines through us. Or even more so, the Apostle Paul says, in him you are light. We are the stars that Abram saw, but leading to the light of Jesus Christ in the midst of a dark world. Because we are in a dark place, the world is a dark place, in our passage calls it a crooked and twisted generation. And it was dark in the time of Philippi. Philippi was a dark city, just as it's dark for us. We know about that darkness, that evil, that wickedness, that twisting of the truth, that following after things that are anything other than God. And yet God has been gracious to put his light in the midst of the darkness to lead and to point like a GPS signal to the Lord Jesus Christ, even you and me, beloved, even the church of Jesus Christ. And what we need to hear from this passage is that we must shine with the light of Jesus Christ. We must reflect his light in our lives and in our conduct as a body of believers that we might direct a watching world to the light of Jesus Christ. We must live as children of light. Um, we'll, we'll look at that in this passage with three basic headings. First, that we must, we must work out our salvation. Secondly, we must do this as children of light. And thirdly, we do this in joyful worship. It's an act of joyful worship. So the passage begins, therefore. And right before this, is that great Christ hymn that we know well about how Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God out of service to us, and he was obedient even to death, death on a cross. And so God exalted him to the highest name, that every, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess. And he says, therefore, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He points back to the Lord Jesus and he says, as Jesus was obedient, and in Jesus you have been obedient, and as Jesus was faithful unto death, 
and wrought our, worked our salvation for us. So we must, in humble obedience, continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We must continue in that salvation that has been ours and work it out. Now, we have to be very careful about what he says here. Paul does not say, work for your own salvation. We do not work for our salvation. We know full well that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that anyone should boast. Jesus Christ has fully completed all the work that is needed to accomplish our salvation. We do not work for our salvation. Neither do we work at our salvation. As though Jesus started the work and we somehow need to add to it or complete it and bring it to completion. No, it is fully complete in Jesus Christ. He has done all that for us. But what does it say? It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In the course of the salvation that has been ours, it has to be worked out in the context of our lives from here on out. Jesus has worked amazing things for us through his death and resurrection. And in coming to faith, we must work those things out. He has broken the power of sin in our lives. Sin no longer has a hold on us. We are set free from those bonds. And yet you and I both know that we continue to sin. We must work out that freedom that has been worked for us in Jesus Christ. We must put to death those sins. We must mortify them is the fancy word because it is God who works in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. He is... He has made us holy in himself. He has purified us by his blood. And yet God says, be holy. Pursue holiness. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That holiness must be worked out in the context of our lives. He has purified us, made us blameless, given us his righteousness. And yet we must work out that righteousness through the good works that he has prepared for us to do. He works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And we must do this, he says, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Jesus Christ has been exalted as Lord over all. And he calls us to obedience. He calls us to live in accordance with the salvation that he purchased for us. So with fear and trembling, we must do it. And we can do it, he says, Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We have the ability to do this because God is at work. The, the Greek word there is the word energo, from which we get our word energy. God is the energy. His, his energy, his power is, is working in us to do these things, specifically two things, to will and to work. First, it is to will according to his good pleasure. We are, God has created us to be, to have a will that is free, only in confines, but is confined by the will that we have. You are not 
No person is ultimately and absolutely free. We are confined by our will. And that is true physically, intellectually, and spiritually. Despite how much you may want to, you do not have the physical will to run a 40-meter dash in under two seconds or bench press a 1,000 pounds. You do not have that physical will. As much as you may have the intellectual desire to, you do not have the intellectual will to memorize every word of every book that has ever been written. And similarly, apart from the work of Christ, no matter how much you may want to do what is good and right in the eyes of God, you do not have the spiritual will to be obedient to him and to walk by faith. God must work that will in you. But it is God who works who, who works in you to will in, according, in accordance with his pleasure. God, by his spirit, gives us that new heart, is another way of putting it, this will to be able to do that which is pleasing in his sight through faith. But also, um, he, gives us, he works in us to work in accordance with his good pleasure. He is the energy to our energy. <laughs> he enables us to do that which he calls us to do, not just the desire, but actually the power behind our faithful working. And it, this is to his good pleasure. It is God's good pleasure to work in you, to give you that desire, to work in you as you work out that salvation. And it is his desire to do this so that it would produce the the pleasing results for him that, that he's looking for, he's desiring. He is pleased to work in you to accomplish the results that please him. And beloved, what that tells us is that there is nothing that God, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is nothing that God calls you to that he is not giving you the power to do. God is at work in you. God's infinite power is at work in you. God is giving you the will to do it, and he is working in you to do it. He calls you to put to death those sins which so easily entangle you. So do it. Because God is at work in you to will and to work in accordance with his pleasure. God calls you to serve him with all of your might and to bear witness to the glory of Christ. So we must do it. We must work it out because God is at work in us to will and to work in accordance with his good pleasure. Augustine said that the, the, the works or the deeds are our own because God, because we are doing them out of a free will that has been transformed by the work of God. We, we, are, we are doing them, but they are God's because God has given us the gift. He is working in us the will to do them and the strength to produce them. So we must do it. But beloved, we need to also understand that this is not simply an individual exhortation. Everything that Paul has been talking about in Philippians chapter 2 has been corporate in nature. Talking to the body, he was saying we must strive side by side for the, 
for the sake of the gospel, not frightened by anything. We, we, we need to pursue humility with one another, consider one another more significant than, uh, consider others more significant than ourselves. And so that salvation, that this, this working out of our salvation, that also must be done in the context of community. We must pursue these things together. God is working at, at work within us. And one of those particular ways that he says that is that we must pursue this, this concept of living as children of light. Particularly, he's focused on the way that we talk to one another within the body. He says, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It's grumbling and questioning or grumbling and debating, depending upon what your translation says, is talking about complaining and negativity that is either private in nature or public and out front. The grumbling is a private, behind-the-scenes, negative comments. You're com- grumbling, complaining about somebody behind their back. You're talking about your discontent about things with people in the body that is not with them. And this disputing or this questioning is an arguing that is up front and in, in your face, creating divisions. And he says, do nothing, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. We, clearly, there was some sort of grumbling and complaining going on in the church of Philippi. There were some kind of divisions that were there. We don't know exactly uh, who was grumbling or about whom, what the circumstance was, but we can hint, we can get a hint of it because Paul seems to be thinking back to the Exodus. He thinks thinks back to Exodus chapter 16, which is where we first hear about grumbling. In Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites had been delivered out of Egypt. They had been saved from the hand of Pharaoh when they were on their way to Mount Sinai, and they were in the wilderness, and they started to grumble. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and they said, would that you had just left us in Egypt. We're going to die of hunger out here. What are you doing? And uh, Moses immediately says, well, the Lord has heard your grumbling. The Lord has heard your grumbling, and he will feed you. He will feed you in the evening, and he will feed you in the morning because you have heard the grumbling. And this is what Moses says. He says, Moses said, when the Lord gives you In the evening, meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling's not against us, but against the Lord. Moses said, you're grumbling against me and my brother, but who are we? And there's reason to believe that, based upon some things Paul writes, that the people were grumbling against their elders and deacons, perhaps Paul himself. And almost as though he's hinting back to Moses, he's saying, but who are we? We are servants. 
seeking to lovingly lead you in Christ. And beloved, where is your grumbling heart? Because we all have a heart that grumbles and complains, that is our natural bent, is to focus on the things that we're unhappy about. Are you grumbling about me? Or about the elders? Or about the officers of Zion Presbyterian Church, the direction that we've set? Who are we? Do we have the power to create suffering for this body? Would we want to create suffering or struggles for this body? Certainly not. We all suffer together as one body. And similarly, do we have the power to deliver us out of struggles or suffering? Certainly not. God is sovereign. We are mere servants of him seeking to love you and to lovingly lead you. And beloved, the charge to us is to live as children because there's gospel hope here, which is hidden in this passage because Paul continues this theme of looking back to the Exodus. And at the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, which is at the end of the Exodus, they're about to go into the promised land. The, the grumbling generation has died in the wilderness. Moses says of them, he says, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Paul says to the Philippians, he says, don't grumble or complain that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. They were, were the crooked and twisted generation. You are in it. You are. This is not a call for how to be children of God. He says, you are children of God. Be blameless. Shine brightly in the midst of the darkness. You are in this culture that grumbles and complains all the time. Be different. Shine like Christ. Reflect his glory. Beloved, your words, my words, they matter for the sake of the body of Christ. Our words can infect our fellowship like a disease or we have the power to build up and to encourage like a healing balm. All of us have known people or groups of people that are caustic in nature, negative. You expect to hear negativity and grumbling and hearing about all the problems and everything that is bad. And there's nothing beneficial about that, is there, beloved? It's not pleasant. Does that describe your words? Are you more negative than encouraging? Do you see what is good? Or do you see what is bad? Do you have the humility to ask a brother or sister? what they hear in your words? And if you do, beloved, check the orientation of your heart. It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. 
Grumbling words come out of a grumbling heart, a discontent heart. Are there patterns that you have you have lodged into of discontent that are affecting the words that you say? Because, beloved, I can grumble like the best of us, and I know that what happens is we justify our grumbling and our complaining as being truth-tellers. I just need to say what is true. I see it. I see the problems, and I need to tell you. I need to tell everybody about it. And we should speak the truth. But beloved, that's only part of the truth, isn't it? Because God is at work. God is, and he is at work, so there is good to be seen. There is encouraging things to talk about. There is glory to encourage each other with, and we must do that. Beloved, before we go too too much further, remember Jesus Christ came for grumblers and complainers like you and me. He came for the discontent and those who focus on that which is negative like you and me. Jesus Christ hung on the cross and our grumbling, our complaining, our arguing was placed on him so that we could be blameless and innocent children of God forever and ever so that we could have a pure speech and we could build one another up with our words. But for us who have received that hope, in Christ Jesus, that forgiveness. We must purify our speech. We must build one another up. Because it's not even just for the benefit of each other. Our words matter for the sake of the world. What does he say? He says, so that you might be without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Our words, our conduct, are what make us shine with the light of Christ. And this is a reference to the book of Daniel, to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. If you, if, if you wanted to look at it in your bulletin, it's our uh, scripture meditation at the very beginning of our bulletin. But Daniel is talking about the last days, the last days which will come, and he says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn to righteousness, those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Looking back to Abram, looking ahead to Christ, he's saying, Those who are wise will shine with the glory of Christ. Those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. And Paul connects that to the way that we talk to each other, the way that we love one another within the body. He says we must hold fast the word of life, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives life, because in him was life. His life, that life was the light of men. We must be a beacon of light directing to the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory. But in the world that we live in, grumbling, complaining, self-serving attitudes, pride, selfishness, there's nothing bright about that. That's just as dark as the world. How are we directing people to the love of Christ? When we are 
humbly pursuing unity and serving one another with pure speech and edifying speech. It's glorious. And it makes the world say, what is this? What is this that you have? Not only that, beloved, but the, our conduct, the conduct of our community is the true fruit of the gospel. Because see what he says in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, that is the day when Christ returns and judges all mankind, in the day of Christ, I may be proud, that's Apostle Paul, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do you understand how remarkable that is? The Apostle Paul who wrote 13 books of God's word, who unveiled, un, un, revealed to us the mysteries of Christ, who planted many churches, who cast out demons, who preached with boldness, who shepherded with tears. He says, if you don't, Show the light of Christ. I have wasted, my, my ministry is a waste. Because the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved, is not about words. And it's not about teaching. It is about the transforming power of Christ Jesus. Your words and your life bear witness one way or another to the veracity, the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will either confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ or it will deny the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do your words, does your life, does our life together confirm it or does it deny it? And beloved, is the Spirit urging you to make transformative changes in your life with your words or with your actions? so that you might more clearly, more accurately bear witness to the power of the gospel. If so, beloved, I urge you, listen, because God works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. His delight, his desire is to glorify his son, Jesus Christ, through you, through us. How can you do that? And finally, beloved, what we need to understand is that this is an act of joyful worship for us. Paul ends this passage with kind of this weird statement, to, weird to us. He says, uh, verse 17, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all, and likewise also you should be glad and rejoice with me. When the Lord gave the sacrificial laws to the people in the Old Testament, he said, you will offer the sacrifice, and then you would take a drink offering of perhaps wine and pour it over the, the offering and that would create a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the, the main part of the offering was, was the sacrifice. The, the, the drink offering was like the, the topper, the, the, the icing on the cake, the whipped cream and cherry on top of the sacrifice. And Paul, the Apostle Paul in his humility is saying, beloved, your, your faithful obedience, your perseverance in the midst of trials of the, your life, that's the real deal. That is the real sacrifice. I'm just, I'm just the icing on the cake. My, all, everything that I've endured, it's for you. 
to bring glory to your sacrifice. And beloved, you need to hear clearly that God sees your faithful obedience. He sees the sacrifices that you make. He he sees the, the persevering in your faith. And he delights in it. He accepts it as a living sacrifice, pleasing in his son, Jesus Christ. And and pastors, teachers, even apostles, we are mere servants to equip you for the work of ministry, to help you stand firm in the midst of your faith. And so rejoice because God accepts your humble obedience as worship and rejoice because it's evidence that God is at work in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And beloved, we should we have every reason to rejoice because God is at work in us. We need to have thankful hearts, persevering hearts, active hearts. And this can be reflected in a prayer of one of the Puritans, unnamed Puritan, who said this. He said, Lord, you do not move men like stones, but you do endue them with life, not to enable them to move without you, but in submission to you, the first mover. Oh, Lord, I am astonished at the difference between my receivings and my deservings, between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness between the heaven I am bound for and the hell I merit. Who made me differ but you? For I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love you had you not first loved me or been willing unless you had first made me so. Beloved, rejoice because God is at work in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling and shine as lights in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation that we might give glory to the true light, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you love us and that you remind us yet again of your grace and your love and your power at work within us. Help us to be a bright light, a bright beacon of light to lead many to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you transform this community for your glory's sake? Transform each one of us that we might individually and corporately reveal Christ and bear witness faithfully. We pray these things in his name and for your glory's sake. Amen.